Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Here are some famous words that I am sure that some of you remember making, uh, maybe a few of you many years ago. It was something similar to this. With this ring, I thee wed. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love, to cherish, until death do us part. With that promise, or a promise very similar to that, a marriage is born. In 1776, a group of men gathered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and they um, formed a new nation. And they signed on the Declaration of Independence what it meant to be a part of this new nation. And at the very end, these words are written. They said, we pledge our lives, our fortune, and our sacred honor. And with that declaration, a nation was born. If we ever have to go to a court to testify, we put our hand on our Bible, and we raise our other hand, and we make a promise And we pledge that we will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. When we go to buy a house, we sit with a stack of papers and endlessly sign contracts making promises that we will actually pay for this house. Or maybe we sit across the table with a dear friend and a cup of coffee And we make a promise to keep a secret or to share that confidence. We say that we will always tell the truth. We are promise-making people, aren't we? Every bit of us, everything about us, we are always making promises. From friendships to businesses to marriages to even the courthouse, We are making promises, and everything about our lives is built on those promises. But there's another truth about us. We are also promise breakers, aren't we? How many times have we looked at that friend and we've said to them, oh, I'll be there for you. But when the phone call comes, we hit ignore. Or maybe we say to a person, I'll be praying for you this week, and along about Wednesday or Thursday, you think, oh, I haven't done that yet. We make pledges, we make promises, and sometimes we break those promises. The last couple of weeks, we've been in that final book of the New, uh, Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And we've talked about pursuing excellence in different things. We talked about pursuing excellence two weeks ago in our worship. Last week, we talked about pursuing excellence in our giving. And this week, 
Malachi teaches us that we must pursue excellence in our relationships. I believe that there is an important truth that we need to learn. Every permanent relationship is built on an invisible foundation. The Bible calls that invisible foundation a covenant. A covenant. In chapter 2, Malachi teaches us that the covenant is the heart of the relational excellence. It's the theme of chapter 2 of Malachi. And as we have said each and every week through this series, the truth that we need to learn is that God always deserves our very best. And God deserves our very, very best in our covenant relationships with one another. God sets the bar for what a covenant relationship is all about. From the very beginning of all of creation, God was about building a covenant, a relationship with his people. It is carried across time. Think back with me to the book of Deuteronomy. As Moses talks to the Israelite people here in chapter 7, verse 9, listen to what Moses says. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God indeed is God. He is faithful and God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. In the book of Psalms, we read that the psalmist writes these words in Psalms 89. He says, no, I will not break my what? Covenant. I will not take back a single word that I have said. A covenant is foundational in Scripture of what God has built with his people. When God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he created them in the image of God. He gave them life and breath. He gave them food. He gave them meaning. He gave them relationship with one another. And he gave them intimacy with him. He asked Adam and Eve one thing. He said, this is all yours, but stay away from that tree. And you know the story, don't you? What did Adam and Eve do? As soon as God walked away, they went running for the tree because they wanted to see what that tree was all about. They chose to break the covenant with God. So how does God respond? Well, some would say he kicked them out of the garden. And yes, he did. But in reality, he kicked them out of the garden. And then he began to talk about the new covenant he was creating with them. And he began to allude to them that there was going to be someone coming that was going to make a permanent covenant and a permanent way back. God promised throughout the course that he was always going to care for them and be with them. But then the people again began that vicious cycle. I often refer to it, it's not my, my reference, I read this somewhere, but it's the cycle of sin. 
You know what the cycle of sin is. We come to know Jesus, and then we, we kind of live for him for a while, and then the things begin to come back and pervade our thinking and our minds, and we rebel again. And then we have to come back to him, and then we continue that cycle over and over again. And we see that throughout the pages of the Old Testament. We see it in Noah. You remember what happened leading up to Noah. The people had sinned. They had fallen away from God. They didn't even have any idea of God. And God said, I'm going to destroy the earth, and I'm going to start over. He's going to do a reboot in many ways. And he says, but there's one faithful family, and it's Noah's family. And he had Noah build that ark. And the floods came and the earth was destroyed. And you remember how God talked about it when they saw the rainbow, a new covenant with God's people. But then that cycle continued. We come to Abraham. We come to Moses. And Moses is told that he is going to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. God promises the Israelite people that he's going to come to a land that is flowing with milk and honey and he talks about how he's going to reestablish his place with them and have community with them in exodus chapter 6 verse 7 he says i will be your god and you will be my people but what happened the people turned away and they sinned all throughout the pages of the Old Testament, we read of that cycle that goes over and over and over again. And then we come to the New Testament, where all those threads that run through begin to come into place. And I love that passage in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. God reestablished his covenant. Jesus lived, lived a sinless life. He went to the cross and he died for us and he became our sacrifice for our sin. He became the offering for us so that we would have life eternal. But just before Jesus went to the cross, he did something to remind us of that covenant relationship. We celebrate it each and every week in our church. We call it communion. Some call it the Eucharist. Some call it other things. But do you remember in Luke chapter 22, verse 20, we read these words that after supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this is the cup of what? The new covenant between God and his people. I love how this version goes on and says, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Let me tell you a truth. And if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this truth. God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. Let me say that again. God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. Understand that all of these covenants that God has made, he has never broken, we have. 
And when we break the covenant, what does God do? He reaffirms it. He reestablishes it. And he creates a covenant to have a relationship with you and I. I believe that there are some good reasons and good news that we need to celebrate of this covenant. The first is this. God never goes back on his word. When God says he will do something, guess what? He does it. When God starts something, he finishes something. And what God commits to you, you can count on that he is going to follow through with. But I think we also need to realize that God is that covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, and in spite of the fact that you and I sin and we break that covenant, God is committed to you and I all the time. We get in a mess, God is there. We struggle, God is there. God is all about fulfilling the covenant with his people. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny who he is. God has set the standard for a covenant relationship and the excellence of the covenant relationship. And I say that all in introduction to come back to the book of Malachi. Because as Malachi begins to talk about this excellence in a covenant relationship, we need to understand that the man who established covenant, God, knew what that was all about. And as we've always seen with God, he never tells us to do something that he hasn't already figured out that we can do. God wants us to excel in our relationships. And God wants us to understand what covenant relationships is all about. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Malachi chapter 2. There's going to be some things on the screen. Chapter 2, verse 10, begins this way. Are we not all children of the same God? Are we not all created by the same God? Then why do we betray each other, violating the covenant of our ancestors? Now, we're going to read on in this text that Malachi centers the, co the covenant about a relationship in marriage. Why? Well, because in Malachi's day, much like today, people were just casually disregarding covenant relationships. In Malachi's day, marriage had become convenient-based and societally-based. It was no longer a commitment. It was just about what was good at that moment. So in Malachi's day, it was gone thinking about the vows. Marriage was simply an end, would simply end because someone got bored, somebody got unfulfilled, somebody made different choices. 
But I want to tell you, before the people threw in the towel and before we throw in the towel, we need to understand what Malachi goes on to say, beginning in verse 13. He said, here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning, because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, your wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You are his. But what does he want? Godly children from your union, so guard your heart, remain loyal to your wife of your youth. So what is God saying? He is saying, don't be under the illusion that your worship is acceptable to me and that your prayers are acceptable to me if you don't have a covenant relationship with your spouse that's acceptable to me. Well, that's kind of a bold statement, isn't it? Have we ever thought about how much emphasis God puts on the relationship that are closest to us? God wants us to have a deep relationship with our spouse. In fact, God says many different things about that covenant relationship. Your marriage is not a contract. It is a covenant. Many people in this day and age seem to think it's all about a contract. Fred Lowry, many years ago, wrote a book called Covenant Marriage. In that book, he lists a lot of things that were comparison and contrast between a contract and a covenant. Listen to some of these things. A contract is an agreement made in distrust. A covenant is an agreement made in trust. A contract is based on limited liability. A covenant is based on unlimited responsibility. In a contract, you sign on the dotted line. I love how he puts this one. In a covenant, you tow the line. A contract is conditional. A covenant is unconditional. In a contract, you focus on the growth of yourself. In a covenant, focuses on the giving of yourself. A contract is predicted on results. A covenant is, is about relationships. A contract is made at arm's length. A covenant is made at arm's embrace. A contract says, what am I getting from this marriage? Why a covenant says, what am I giving to this marriage? A contract is enforced by law. I love this one. 
A covenant is enforced by character. A contract is bound by legalism and leverage, while a covenant is bound by love and loyalty. A contract is based A covenant is commitment-based. In a contract, two are connected just until the agreement is broken. In a covenant, two are committed, remember that phrase I used earlier, till death do us part. Lowry goes on to tell a beautiful story about a woman who had Alzheimer's. She eventually had to move into a nursing home because her husband could no longer care for her. And every day he would go to the nursing home and he would spend time with his wife. He would talk to her and he would read to her. He would comb her hair and try to meet her various needs. Many days he would bring her fresh flowers. Before he left the room, he would tell her he loved her and he would kiss her goodbye. He did this day after day, week after week, month after month, never missing a day. Finally, after one of these daily visits, the nurse walked up to him and asked to speak with him. They spoke admiringly about him and told him everyone was impressed by his faithfulness and his devotion and his care to his wife. But then the nurse said, we want you to know you really don't have to come here every day if you can't. She doesn't know if you're here. She doesn't remember that you were here. There is absolutely no reason that you need to feel like you have to come every day to check on her. The husband lifted his head with tears streaming down his cheeks, and he said these words to this nurse. I know she doesn't know who I am, but I know who she is. She is my She is my covenant partner. I made a promise to her 50 years ago. I will never leave her, never forsake her, and I love what he said at the end of this, and I intend to keep that covenant. If you're married, I want to invite you to do something here for just a minute. I want you to look at your hand. Probably most of you that are married, you have a wedding ring on your left hand, don't you? Take a look at that wedding ring. That is a symbol, a reminder of that covenant that you made with your spouse. So let me ask you, how is your promise going? For richer, for poorer? For better, for worse? In sickness and in health? To love and to cherish? Let me remind you, you promised. Can I say it even more strongly than that? You made a covenant between you and your spouse and between God. It is a commitment. 
you promised that you would be a servant and that you would share what you have and what you can in life. You promised that you would laugh together and that you would cry together. You promised that you would even dance together. You promised that you would fight a fair fight. And you promised that you would attack the problem and not the person. You promised that you would love even when the crow's feet begin to form in the other person's lives. You promised when their hair color would change or when their hair left. You had promised that you would see beauty beyond just a body. I want to remind you what you didn't promise, though. You didn't promise to keep your vow only if your partner behaves. You didn't promise to keep your vow only if they stayed attractive. You didn't promise to keep a vow only if they continued to live up to standards. Let me say it this way. You promised to fulfill a covenant. Sooner or later, the only things that will matter in our lives will be our relationships. Many years ago, John DeButts, who was the chairman of AT&T, he had over a million employees in the heyday of AT&T on his payroll. Presidents called him for advice. He had wealth, he had fame, he had power, he had influence. But one day, John DeButts became severely ill and he spent a good amount of time in a hospital. As he was sitting in that hospital, he realized something. No one came to visit him. No one sent him a card. No one sent him words of encouragement. And John DeButts reflected back. He said that the only one that was there for me was the person that I had largely ignored for 30 years, my wife. Sooner or later, all of the things of life will not matter. The only thing that will matter is relationships. In the book called The Joy of Feeling Good, written by Norman Miller, or William Miller, I'm sorry, he tells a story of Peter Newick. Peter was a hiker, and he loved to go hiking, and he would take family and friends hiking, and he and his wife and a couple were hiking in Spirit Lake in Washington. They hiked through the mountains. They were surrounded by all of these breathtaking views. Everything about the trip was wonderful except Peter was carrying an awful burden. He just had heard that he had a malignant tumor. Literally, his life was in jeopardy. As the foursome walked, they were looking at all of the trees, they were looking at all of the different things, they looked at the lake that was before them, and they came to a place 
where a rustic lodge was at the foot of a waterfall with a breathtaking mountain rising in the background. The scene was just beautiful. Peter's wife ran into the lodge to see if she could make reservations. The lodge told her, we are booked for a year. So Peter's wife did what she, many wives would do. She made a reservation for a year out. And she came out and she told Peter, she told the force, the other couple, that she had made a reservation for them to come back one year from now. Peter then informed them that he may not be there a year from now. Fast forward a year. Peter had it backwards. Peter and his wife were still happily married. Peter had overcome that malignant tumor. But guess what? That beautiful lodge, that picturesque view, it was all gone. Because the mountain that sat in the background, we remember it called Mount St. Helens. And it erupted. And it literally destroyed everything that they looked at and they worshipped. Listen to me. All of the earthly stuff, the vehicles that we work so hard to get, the home that we spend extra time and all of the things that we can do to make it just right, that can all be blown away in a moment. It is all temporary. For 32 years, I have been in ministry. 17 years, I served as a hospice chaplain, and I talked to people that were sitting at the cusp of leaving this world, going into eternity. One of the things I have always marveled at in their lives, I have never heard one dying person say to me, I wish I would have spent more time at work. I've never heard it. I've heard people talk about their hobbies and how they enjoyed their hobbies, but I've never heard them say to me, I wish I would have spent more time boating or more time working on my golf handicap. I have absolutely never heard anybody say, I wish I would finally have bought that dining room suit that I've been talking about for years. I've never heard him say, I wish I would have worked a little bit harder to get that promotion. But you know what I have heard them say? I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish that I would have spent more time with my wives. Wife, not wives. <laughs> Boy, that was bad. Take that one out of the video and podcast. <laughs> yes, more time with my wife. One of humanity's greatest sins is this. 
we give ourselves far too much to things that won't last while neglecting the things that ultimately do. Our human nature, can I even be more specific? Our Western culture drives us to the tendency to succeed in things that don't matter. Many of us that are in this room today are watching this online. You are succeeding in things to 20 years from now, let me tell you what, won't matter a hill of beans. The meaning of life is not found in the titles that we obtain. It is not found in the toys and the things that we gather in life. The meaning of life is found in an abiding, everlasting covenant relationship with Jesus Christ and then in a covenant relationship with those closest to us, around us. My friends, I want to implore you, build that relationship with your spouse. Build that relationship with your, with your kids and your grandkids. Spend time with them. Build that relationship with your friends, those that are closest to you but also build it with the one that will always endure. Because here's the truth. Covenant relationships endure when everything else falls away. And Jesus showed us what that covenant relationship is. When he went to the cross for us, he taught us that we have hope beyond this life. He taught us that what we need to have is a relationship with him. And when that relationship is strong and everything else seems to be fading away, we have a hope of tomorrow that is assured. Do you remember what I said at the beginning? That God is about keeping his covenant. And we have seen it time and time again that when God establishes the covenant, he always remains strong. So church, remain strong in your relationships. But most of all, importantly, remain strong in the one relationship that will never let you down. A Savior that loves you. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for that ultimate relationship that is found in Jesus. And I ask, Lord, now that you will challenge us to look in our hearts and our minds and see how we can deepen our relationships with our spouses, with our families, and that we can grow in those relationships. Father, I pray that as we prepare to come around the table, and to celebrate how you demonstrated your commitment to us, that we will recognize that we too should demonstrate that commitment back. In Christ's name we pray, amen.